This is Selects Episode 5, the NC-17 edition. Though if you're too young to listen, you probably have no idea what that means. So podcasts give everyone a voice. There are no ratings, no restrictions. Anyone can make a podcast about anything. This is a podcast where I talk about sex with my mom. In this episode, I explain to her how I was just invited to an orgy. That's allowed people to have conversations on taboo subjects that you would never hear on TV, never hear on the radio. And it's one of the many reasons why I love podcasts. That was one of our first dates, too, when Deadpool came out and they're torturing him. And they throw him in the cage and they, like, put the water hose on him. We both kind of looked at each other and went like, fuck yeah, that sounds hot. So some of the stories on today's episode are silly, some are scintillating, and some are deadly serious. All I could think about is like, oh my God, I just had 20 guys come at me. Holy fuck, what did I just do? And I almost guarantee you've never heard anything like them. So for a while you were really obsessed with this idea of like, me drawing your genitals, or me, me talking to a sketch artist and drawing your genitals? Yeah, I'm still interested in that. Well, the trouble is, since then, I was poking through photos and I found a photo of your genitals, so I feel like it wouldn't be fair. Oh, how, what? You didn't tell me that. I'm telling you now. Yeah, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> First up, we got a podcast by Cameron Potter and Karen Lee Potter. You may have noticed they share a name. That's because they're related, which is central to their show. Well, oh, I, I could tell right. that this is going to be a complete, complete bummer for me. I'm going to hear the story. No, I'm going to be going to leave me on, thank and then you. you're going to tell me some stupid ass story like you you came in your pants as soon as you walked in the door, and then you went Greek dancing, and everything was great. <laughs> I think I've heard my mom talk about her sex life to me like three times. As far as I know, they've had sex four times, and it resulted in four children. My parents are open talking about it all the time it's disgusting welcome to sex talk with my mom i'm cam poter and i'm karen lee poter my mother is a self-proclaimed sex expert and cougar and my son is a self-proclaimed stand-up comic clown and mime (laughs) it's just getting longer and longer (laughs) that intro and today wait hold on before today for all of our new listeners this podcast is hosted by my mother myself we talk about all the things you're not supposed to talk about with your parents which includes sex drugs uh, orgies in the desert and rock and roll (laughs) and uh here's a quick little story to get you into the headspace that i'm currently in mother i wanted to share with you a quick story I love your quick stories. I always like to call them quickies. A little quickie. Yeah. As you know, last episode, we um, we were discussing play parties. You went to a play party. No, I did not go to a play oh, party. Damn, that would have been hilarious. You got so excited just now. Yes, I would have been very excited if you had gone to the play party. But anyway, go on. I got a text response from the girl that was mentioned in the intro of the play party episode okay and and, and just to recap in the play party episode i introduced it by saying i just made a friend who goes to play parties and i'm gonna try to weasel my way into them yeah i was so excited about that for you so then and midday today midday today i receive a message out of nowhere from this friend of course you're invited silly winky face uh, You're invited to a play party. The invitation has been sent. Are you going? Yes, I'm going. No way. When is this going to happen? This is hilarious. There's, I cannot the, handle it. 
there's no there's no definite uh, date or time. There's just an open invitation. And uh, my response was basically a lot of exclamation points and party party hats and, and, and favors. Okay. You need to get prepared. What do you mean back, I need to get you, prepared? You better go back on the the uh, <laughs> 21 Day Masturbation Challenge. I was. You thinking, better start I, edging the shit out of yourself. I was thinking, I'm gonna upon entry, I will ejaculate. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> as soon as I see there are a bunch of people having sex, I'm gonna have an ejaculation <laughs> explosion. I almost wore. I think I need to bring a change of clothes. <laughs> Cam, you're not going to be wearing clothes, remember? No, Maybe bring I, a if, towel. Before I even take my clothes off, I will, gonna... there will be an explosion. Oh, shit. You better get control over this thing. Could you imagine if I show up to the play party with a fucking, with like a little suitcase saying, I'm here. I know I'm not going to stay the night, but stay I just need to. Stay the night? Unbelievable. So this you feel good about? I, do, I think I feel good about it. Okay. Yeah. What? what uh, well, I mean, like, I, as opposed to like the Nina Hartley thing. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm into this idea. This, this feels very uh, natural. Natural? In what way does this feel natural for you? This is a natural extension of my life. You know, some things that I, you know, find myself in. You know, it's a bucket list natural. item. <laughs> going to play party. Going I, to play. It, it, Invitation you know, to play. I hate to say this puts pressure on me to go to play parties now. Yeah, because I don't know if you remember, but in the last episode, you said, "Oh, I got an idea." Why don't I go to one in either Chicago or LA? Oh my! And God. you go to one in New York, and then we can compare. That was your, verbatim out of your mouth. Oh no! I said, "Why don't we go to the, the dungeon?" Nah, nah, nah. I thought it was a dungeon thing. Well, she, yeah. Well, dungeon play party. They, these can be there's very similar diff- thing. No, no, there's a big difference there. Big difference. Big, big, huge difference because one is uh, like almost like mandatory participation. I would think the play party, right? You're suggesting, no, 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 no. You think it's more you're just going to observe? No, I, no. This girl told me that she went to one and she had such a fun time in the other room where they were doing Greek dancing that she didn't even end up in the hookup room. I have absolutely no desire to go to any place where people are doing Greek dancing. I love Greek dancing. This is actually part of the, the If you come back play. from this experience and tell me that you went Greek dancing instead of... <laughs> had any kind of sexual encounter, I'll be sadly disappointed. Very disappointed. I would be so fucking bummed out if you come back and them. guess what, Mom? I didn't do any actual playing, but I did have a great time doing salsa dancing. <laughs> I Greek. I don't I don't know many people who do Greek dancing. So I, I think oh this Oh, my God. A, go to I Greek town for crying out loud. Oh, maybe I'll go to Greek Town. Zorba the Greek. Da, 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 you know that I love thing. that. I, I think it's a lot like Fiddler on the Roof. That's the it's type of totally dancing. like a, like those Russian Greek. They're all the same. Oh, kind of I dancing. love that shit. So then, this is nothing. Oh my god, I am like going through a roller coaster of emotions with you right now. One on Don't one worry, hand, I was excited were... for you. Next thing, I hear you're talking about Greek dancing. What There's the hell? There's gonna be playing of all varieties. Okay. Okay, you're gonna. That's not playing. That's kind of just dancing. That's not. I don't even know why that would be considered a play party. That is a state of play. If I enter a state of play, clowning technically is state of play. Uh, if you start miming over there, that is going to be <laughs> highly disappointing. Highly. Miming sex. I came to mime sex with myself. Oh, my God. You've already done that. You've done that on Silicon Valley. You're not doing that again. <laughs> uh, oh, well, I, I can tell right. that this is going to be a complete, complete 
bummer for me. I'm going to hear this story. No, I'm going to be going to lead me on. Thank and then you. you're going to tell me some stupid ass story like you you came in your pants as soon as you walked in the door and then you went Greek dancing and everything was great. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you for that prediction. Uh, I know. I just said I just don't want to be. I, I do not want that to happen. Do not let me down on this one, okay? Jesus Christ! That's all I need to hear in my mind, the back, <laughs> back of my head while I'm entering the play party. Do, do not, not let your, me your, down. your voice saying "Don't let me down." <laughs> what the fuck? What the fuck? I have to somehow, you know, just live vicariously through your life. Uh, how about you live vicariously through your own goddamn life? Oh, you can I'm, go to the play party and get I'm scared and, of the play parties. I'm scared. I'm scared there's gonna be like this big, hairy, gross guy that's gonna like go you over here, you know? Oh yeah, well that could that that's my luck, okay? That's my Some luck as well. With a could bunch you of, imagine? <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. So all in all, I don't think I'm part. I don't think I'm. I'm. I, I. I think I talk a big game, and I think it's going to end up. I'm going to go to the dungeon. Dee's going to get involved. I'm going to stand there watching like an idiot with my fucking tail between my legs, going, "What am I doing here?" Well, I will tell you that I talk a small game, and I'm going to the play party. <laughs> and and you're coming back a better I'm, dancer. I'm coming back a better dancer at the very least. That's the low bar that I'm setting for myself. No. Oh yeah. Do not. It's and gotta I don't, be higher than that. Don't give me that. that shit. That oh, don't let me down. I don't. I'm going for my reasons. This is about what, me. What, what are your reasons? I want to play. <laughs> you can go to a goddamn playground I and play with goddamn, the kids. All right. Now it's getting creepy. All right. That's I don't the mean update. play sexually this, with the kids. What kind of sta- statement is that? that? I wasn't even thinking that way. Because we're mixing up the play with all types of play right now. So you're the one who just... brought that in as all types of play. I said there's either the the sex or there's the and you're the oh let's bring in Greek dancing. Well, that's very that's very playful. All right. This whole thing note, has got me very riled up. I can't believe this. You're making me very uncomfortable. All right. I gotta I gotta wrap this shit up. I gotta go meet some friends. Oh, you're gonna tell them about the play party? Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Invitation to play? Are you kidding me? They're going to all want to come, so to speak. It's not a bad idea. You're inviting you all your friends protection. to come? Here we go with the protection. All right. Here we go all with right. the protection. I can't believe you just said that again. That's the second right. time you said that. All right. For the I'll listeners who later. did not remember this, you said that you wanted to bring a friend. And the and the and what's her name? Tina said, yeah, you can bring a friend. And you're probably most likely needed to bring a friend if you're a guy. And you should bring a girl. And, and you're like, oh, no, I wanted to bring a guy friend to protect me. That's what the quote was. Well, then I found a girl who actually invited me to the play party so she could protect me. Oh, She's a sweetheart. All right. I'll talk to you later. Oh, yeah. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. So that was Sex Talk with My Mom by Cameron Poder and Karen Lee Poder. Uh, the show clearly captures their amazing chemistry. They're the cutest. Uh, and I asked creators to optionally submit audio explaining their submission, and this was part of theirs. I'm just proud that this podcast is even getting made. The amount of stress and anxiety that this causes is just <laughs> astronomical. I, I'm proud that I know how to press audacity. <laughs> <laughs> the cutest. So next up is a clip from a podcast I'm actually a big fan of. It's another show that's just two people talking to each other, but it's not just any show about two people talking to each other. I'll let them introduce the concept. Welcome to Being Honest with My Ex. 
My ex is Peter C. Haywood. My ex is SJ, better known as Honor Eastley. We were engaged for two years and, and then, then we, we broke, broke up. up. <laughs> and then we stopped talking to each other for a year. And now we do a podcast together. So the show discusses a lot of different subjects like mental illness and moving to a foreign country. But I'd say it really shines the most just as a podcast about two very different people trying to understand one another. And also as an exploration of new and maybe unconventional lifestyles like non-monogamy or trying to make a living as a creative on the internet. Because they cover so much, this clip isn't really representative of all the show's subject matter, but I think it is representative of the tone. Would you have a baby with me? If I can get you to cry next podcast, we'll have a hat trick. <laughs> you don't know this, but I have a very vivid image of what your penis looks like. What? <laughs> if I met you now, I do not think that I would go out with you. Oh my God. I think if I met you now, I'd, I'd fall more in love with you than I did the first time. The idea of having sex with you now is very weird. The memory of having sex or the idea of now having sex with me? Both of those, particularly the second one. <laughs> yeah, it's not something that I think about very much. You don't think about my dick? No. Do you remember my dick? Sure. <laughs> I don't know what I was expecting there. I was just kind of curious to see how you react. <laughs> I think I've got a pretty good picture in my mind of it. So for a while you were really obsessed with this idea of like, me drawing your genitals or me, me talking to a sketch artist and drawing your genitals? Yeah. I'm still interested in that. Well, the trouble is since then I was poking through photos and I found a photo of your genitals, so I feel like it wouldn't be fair. Oh, how, what? You didn't tell me that. I'm telling you now. Yeah. You are right. <laughs> <laughs> how did you do that? So I have a collection of naked ladies on my electronic device. It's very nicely password protected and all that. I feel like that's important for you to specify both to be like, you don't have to worry about your naked photos leaking. And also any ladies reading this who want to send me naked photos, I'm very cautious with them. <laughs> yeah. I don't mean random listeners. I mean like people I'm seeing who might listen to this. I'm over explaining this. Um, <laughs> and so I was going through my folder and I was like, oh, look, there's SJ and she's naked. That's so weird. I Why? wonder if I have naked photos of you. I mean, you it's have weird. posters of my pe penis. <laughs> yeah, but I don't. They're not password protected. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you find this so weird? I'm interested. Because now we're friends. Yep. And I don't look at pictures of you naked. I don't like pull them out and jerk off to them. I was just going through my naked photo collection and there you were. Well, now I'm offended that you don't. You don't even jerk off to my naked photos that you have of me. <laughs> I just, I don't see you in that way. It's not even fair. Yeah, I know. But then that's why, isn't it weird that you have them? No, I'm not, I'm not really a deleting photo kind of person. I mean, I assume that if I asked you to delete them, you would delete them. I don't know that I would. Are you serious? Yeah, I don't, I don't know why I would be expected to. All right. Cliffhanger right there. You're going to have to see where that argument goes. Uh, so that was Being Honest With My Ex by Peter C. Hayward and SJ, a.k.a. Honor Eastley. Next up is another unscripted discussion and the final one for this episode. And then we'll have two produced pieces that are a little more serious. But so this clip is from Sugarcast, which seems like it might be an advertisement for a phone sex line that also records the conversations. Not sure. Anyway, it's an interesting, though rambly, voyeuristic view into the BDSM subculture. Tell me some of the most interesting stories you've come across. It could be 
related to you being a dominatrix or it could be you in your personal life? It can be either or. Well, when I was in LA, I had a, I had a submissive who was in his seventies. He was a widower and he was basically like at events, he would be like my secretary and we would get together a few times a month and just have dinner and go play at various dungeons. My dungeon back in Los Angeles was like, uh, it was super sketchy, which I loved. It was like in between a car wash and a stripper club. It was in like Van Nuys, North Hollywood. So super sketchy. It's basically a duplex house, super dark. And they built this beautiful rope dojo, like brand new. And under the rope dojo is like, like half a flight of stairs. And like, there's this interrogation room. It's freezing in there. It's super dark like they have like one red light or like you can like candles down there oh that's my favorite and like i think that was like the first month i met my my now sub boyfriend pet whatever roommate guy i took him down there and like and i interrogated him and like i tied him up and i love like psychological torture like i love scaring the fuck out of my my sub mm. like that's my favorite thing and, like, he has a tell when he's super scared, he'll just start laughing. So, like, he was just laughing uncontrollably. So, like, I had to get on his chest and, like, calm him the fuck down so he didn't, like, go crazy. And, uh, like, I had to warm him up because, like, his body temperature just dropped drastically being down there. It's, fucking, it's, like, made of stone. It was really cold. That was one of our first dates, too, when Deadpool came out when they're torturing him. And they throw him in the cage and they, like, put the water hose on him. We both kind of looked at each other and went, like, fuck yeah, that sounds hot. Like, one of his fantasies is, like, getting abducted and, like, being, like, tortured for days and weeks and months on end. Um, it's just hard to do that with a graduate student schedule. <laughs> but, like, he's like, yeah, you, he he wants to go to Russia. Like, there's this, um, there's this, like, femdom camp in Russia that they film and and you could you could totally do that. You could work and film for like a week straight. He's like, yeah, like I know you think that's super scary, but like I still really want to do that. I was like, no, like I have all these ideas for torturing you. Like I'm gonna give you a couple muscle relaxers in your coffee, and you're gonna wake up in a cell, and you're not gonna know how the fuck you got there. But it's the logistics of it. Like how I'm gonna get you from point A to B. That's the hardest part. And then when we're there, like you're gonna have to drink my pee. And, like, I'm going to, like, have little chocolates out and you, I'm going to say that it's shit and, like, I'm totally going to not let you sleep and I'm going to waterboard you. Like, you're going to waterboard me? Like, not really, but I'm just going to, like, drown you in some water and then take you out because, like, we don't have an inversion table, so it's not true waterboarding. And, like, he just got so excited. He's like, okay, you have given this some thought. I was like, yeah, but you don't have any time. Like, right now he has one paper that's getting ready to be published and he's working on a second. And he has a he has basically trying to solve cancer with a, another friend. Um, he's trying to solve one type of cancer with a friend currently, and he's also an audiovisual tech, so it's just hard. But anyway, uh, my submissive, his name is Alan, was Alan. He's no longer my submissive. Around Christmas, we went to um, this dungeon. It's right by LAX in Los Angeles, and so I used to work there, so I used to get in for free for all the parties and stuff. And so I would take my submissive and my boyfriend and a bunch of girlfriends still work there. So there's this one little, little room tucked away in the back. 
I think it's called Anubis. All the rooms are, are named after gods. So there's Athena, there's Zeus, there's Hera. And there's two other rooms I can never remember. So this is like the smallest room, way, way, way in the back. And it's red. And it has like this super thick wall of spider chains, like hard, like hard chains. So I tie up my submissive to the to the spider web chain link wall. And then there's a what's the thing called? Not a not a horse thing. There's basically a, a kneeling post for my other submissive, Alan. And uh, it was me. It was another girl, Mistress Luna, who's new to the game. But, like, she was a masochist. Like, she loved inflicting pain. And, like, it was just hard to get her. She needs to learn limits. I don't know if she's still doming professionally. She's also a nurse. And then another girlfriend of mine, um, Mistress Valentine. I don't even know if you're still there, Chris. I'm still there. Okay. So it's, like. So there's three, there's those five bodies in this little room. It's probably like as as big as like a nice walk-in closet, basically. And so my stupid pup hadn't hydrated that night. This was before we lived together. So he came into San, he came into Los Angeles from San Diego. He probably didn't eat enough or didn't drink enough water that day. But like I have to take him down like within 20 minutes because he just basically he's fatigued and he, he like can't he can't stand up straight on this webbing. Um, so I have to take him down and he's just on a blanket on the floor for the rest of the night. But my 70 year old submissive has three doms on him all night with like, so I had all of these like, like super heavy marble paddles. And I just had really, I have a lot of really wicked stuff. Like I have like a baton that's made out of small canes that I really like. Cause it sounds really cool. I have this electric strength that like it's electric. So it's not like a, a tens unit. It just gives like one huge, it's like, it's kind of like a taser, but it's just very focused. The longer you hold it down, the bigger the burn. And it's shaped like a knife. So it's really cool. Um, I think I have like one, I have at least five floggers. No, I have six floggers at this point, seven floggers, shit. Just seven floggers at this point of like just various material and lengths and stuff. Um, and like, and all of these, and like, we work there, so we have, we have access to like the house's closet, basically. So like, he's been caned on it, he's been electrocuted, he's been tied up, he's been spanked, he's been flogged, he's been pinched, prodded, and like, you boys have really sensitive nipples, so like, we were fucking with his nipples, and like, every so often I had to like, boot him back down on the spanking bench, because like, he was literally trying to jump off of it. <laughs> Uh, and so like I had to like push him back down, and so we're literally going at him for like three hours. By the time I look at the clock, it has to be at least one in the morning. And I was like, "All right, okay, Alan, we've been going for three hours. Three doms have been beating you up. Like you've had a couple of witnesses. Like you've had water. I mean, we've been taking care of you. Like nothing too bad. But like, do you want to keep playing?" He's like whatever my mistress wants and like the girls just like couldn't believe that like he was a great submissive he's very traditional his 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 deceased wife um like it was just she died suddenly of a brain aneurysm they just played 24 7 like she would just tie him up all the time and kind of just leave him and go about her business so he loved going into subspace so like i had him in gun gun muffins is what I call them, but it's just like those really heavy duty like headphones that noise canceling headphones that they use at the gun range. 
had him blindfolded. I had him gagged and he was tied up so he couldn't use his, any of his extremities, like his arms or his legs. And so I ungagged him. He's just like, whatever you want. And like both the other girls are just like, oh, he's such a good thumb. So that was fun. I'm like, that was fun. You really have like a lot of crazy stories as like a dominatrix. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had one time. I had we had we had a visiting dom come in from like South Carolina or something like that. And I was super excited because like. So I'm gonna there. cut it off right there. That was from Sugarcast, submitted by Shan Jiang. Check it out if you're curious for more. And next up is Come On In. All I could think about is like, oh my god, I just had 20 guys come in me. Holy fuck, what did I just do? This is John. Well, usually I'm here like handing out free condoms, but ta-da. And this is not the story of his first time in a bathhouse. I just want to feel well, you know, welcomed or wanted. That's what it started as. John used to work in HIV prevention. While he loved his job, it caused a lot of problems in his sex life. I was definitely feeling bad about my self-image. You know, I couldn't meet people because of the work I did. Like I knew a lot of people and everyone knew me, but that was kind of the problem. Looking for sex and anonymity, the next step seemed logical. So eventually I went to a bathhouse and I just said, you know what, fuck it. I don't care who's there. I don't care what's there. I'm just going to go for it. I'm going to have an experience and see what I like, what I don't like. For people like me, uh, sorry, straight woman in the room. This is my co-producer, Lane. I guess some straight girls do this, but I've never been to any kind of sex club or bathhouse. Could you explain the typical setting? When you walk in, you are immediately in a room where it's just like a glass panel where it tells you the prices, where everything is. They ask for your ID. You have to sign some paperwork saying, you know, that you know that it's a private club. There's going to be sexual acts. There's going to be nudity. So you give them all your information. They put you in the system and then they buzz you in. Like it's almost like a prison door. Like you have to be buzzed in. When you get to the other side, it's like a small little gym just because like, that's what they say they are is a gym, but that's not really what they are. And then you get your towel. And then in this particular one, you have to go upstairs and then you go to the lockers. Now you can buy either a locker or a room. And I was always cheap, so I got the locker. You would take off all your clothes, put your towel on, and then you can go walk around. And then you would either go like downstairs where they had like the hot tub and the sauna and stuff like that. And that's where a lot of the action happened. Or you could go uh, past the lockers and there was like a little TV room. And then um, past that was like the dark room with the glory holes and the sling. And it's very, very dark. You can't really see much of anything. I'm a really nervous person. So like that, that would be scary for me. But were you scared? I knew the risk I was taking. It wasn't necessarily a good risk, but I knew what I was doing to myself. I would say only one person probably used a condom out of everyone at the night. I didn't have the self-image that I cared enough about my body to worry about things like that. I just said, you know what, if I get it, I get it. I ended up in the sling and like guys just went back to back on me. And it's one of those things where I wasn't, I didn't leave there feeling happy. After that night in the bathhouse, John realized that that experience wasn't what he was looking for. Self to self. What the fuck are you doing? Why are you doing it? And is it healthy? And I said, no, it's not healthy. And then how do I make it healthy? Okay, well, I could stop just doing whatever everyone else wants and figure out what I want. So you went the one time mm-hmm. and you spent most of the night there. Did yeah. you ever go back uh, to participate again? 
Yeah, I went back, but not to the level that I did. So I was a lot more selective. Like I would kind of scope it out, talk to more people, you know, make it more of a social environment. And then I would randomly just like pick a guy and then go at it with them. At your job, did you feel that you were able to talk about this topic? I wanted to be open and honest with them. I told them, yeah, I was there. This is what I did. And if anyone wanted to go to the bathhouse with me, I was totally open to it. I said, I'm probably not going to participate, but if you want me there for whatever reason, moral support, for condoms, whatever it might be, I'll totally go with you. As long as it's a free night. I don't want to have to pay. This piece was produced by Alexander Charles Adams and Lane Farber as a part of the 24-hour radio race from KCRW's Independent Producer Project. So that piece was done start to finish in 24 hours, which is really impressive. Uh, The theme for the contest was down for whatever. I also submitted a piece for that with my friend Alex, but we couldn't really come up with something that cohesive. It's really hard to do in 24 hours, so, so I'm super impressed. And we're, we're at the, the final piece now, which is a project from the Transom Story Workshop called Provincetown Remembers AIDS. Oh, it was a seismic earthquake. It seemed like people were grabbing at straws to define what this was. There was a certain level of panic. And that was part of the fear. We didn't know what it was or how it was transmitted. The rumble started slowly. It was 1982 when things began to change in Provincetown. The small beach community at the tip of Cape Cod was home to many LGBTQ people. It was also a popular vacation spot, a kind of artsy gay mecca. Couples held hands and ate ice cream, buskers and drag queens lined Commercial Street, and rainbow flags tussled in the wind. But beneath this lightness, something had shifted. The first case of AIDS had just been identified, and young gay men were getting sick. I remember when it became apparent that this was a real killer. I had this moment, this revelation that most of my friends are going to die. And it was like sad and profound all at the same time where you just thought, this is going to change everything. And it did. It totally did. By 1990, there were almost 200 reported cases of HIV and AIDS in Provincetown, and there were still no effective medications. The numbers grew and grew. Where family members and people that we know hardly knew anybody at all that were dying, we knew two and three people a week that were dying for years. We go to an event and there'd be four of us in a car and we have a conversation, who's going to be next? You know, and you you would think, well, I'm feeling this, so I'll probably be next, is what you'd think. Or you'd look over at the next guy, and he's skinnier than I am, so maybe he's going to be next. AIDS was a visible disease. Emaciated men sat on town benches. Many suffered from Kaposi sarcoma, which were cancerous skin legions that would grow together into large purple blotches. One person described his friend's skin as almost wood-like. He said you could knock and hear a dense sound. All this and more was happening in Provincetown, a major tourist destination. Sick men stood in stark contrast to carefree vacationers shopping for taffy and t-shirts. We used to have one electrical hospital bed. And I remember pushing this bed down Commercial Street 
with all these people coming at me, you know what I mean? Well, first of all, they look at me like, why is this going on? But they're all in shorts, you know, they're all, they're on vacation, you know, and I thought, this is the weirdest thing that's happening, you know? So you have this town of like merriment and whale watching, while you also have this huge heavy duty thing going on in it at the same time. There was already plenty of homophobia in the 80s and 90s, and the AIDS epidemic, new, mysterious, and feared, ramped up even more aggressive discrimination and anti-gay violence. At the time in New York City, it was just hysteria. The morality in our society said to me that I deserve to die. You do what you do and you deserve to get what you get. Just throw these drugs down those faggots' mouth and kill them and then they'll be quiet. That's exactly the attitude in the late 80s, it certainly was. Here, because this is a gay town, this is much more forgiving and much more accepting. And that stigma, it wasn't overt here. Because Provincetown was a refuge, many people with HIV and AIDS moved there to live out their last days. So officially in March of 1988, I tested positive for HIV. And I knew that what I wanted to do was to die in a community that would care for me and not treat me like a leper, not throw me in the gutter. And this town afforded death with dignity because you knew that the people who were around you would care for you. That's what I saw. Provincetown is small, only 3,500 year-round residents. And back then, the community was really tight-knit. People here say it would have been almost impossible not to know someone affected by the disease. At one point, this town had the second highest number of people with AIDS per capita in the country. If you think you're not affected by this, you are so wrong. Because it's the guy down the street, it's the guy who works in your supermarket, it's somebody that you know that you're not aware of. And that made it different. It was hard to look away. And that wasn't Provincetown style. Community members, nurses, business owners, clergy, and activists all came together to confront the crisis at hand. They mobilized, and the town became a role model for caring for people with HIV and AIDS. At the center of this response was the Provincetown AIDS Support Group. The support group was very lucky. We had a very good leader who was Alice Foley. She was the town nurse. She was a wild brazen, pugnacious advocate. She was like a big mother to all of us. She wore red converse. And she used to say to us all the time, we are creating the wheel. Because her way was to push it in people's face, make them talk about it. How do you prevent from getting it? The medications that are used, compassion, unconditional loving. What happens when you drop somebody? Alice's great words were, Pick him up and get him back in bed and carry on. The community came together to bring dignity to the dying. Volunteers bathed friends, cleaned houses, and drove a weekly van to Boston for doctor's appointments. The amount of effort that everybody put in and love and compassion was truly astounding. The women at this town were terrific. The lesbians that helped out, they really, really rallied and came to the forefront um, when a lot of the men were really just struggling to stay alive or struggling to figure out what to do next. All this effort was to help people live out their final days with care and comfort. And they threw huge fundraisers to pay for medical bills and housing. You would think that a place that experienced death like that would be, you know, very sober and very, you know, reticent about celebration. Oh, that's crap. Who do you think raised the goddamn money? 
It was drag queens. All the events in Provincetown, it was always hosted by a drag queen. It was always drag queens performing. They were the energy. They were the life force. They were that way of throwing the pain of the world right back in the world's face and making us eat it up and laugh. Hundreds of people died, 10% of Provincetown's year-round population. But then, in 1996, a new class of drugs called protease inhibitors became available. They weren't magic pills, but the new drugs prolonged life for many. It was like a sudden screech and halt in the whole process. And it was almost like, you know, people standing on the precipice of a cliff and then some still tottered over and the others didn't. There were a lot of people who, if they had lived one month longer, they would have been living today. But there was a price to be paid, and there still is a price to be paid with every medication a person with AIDS takes. In the decade after protease inhibitors came out, that contrast between breezy tourists and thin AIDS patients out on a town bench started to diminish. Things were calming down. But for those who made it through, it was complicated. And the survivor's guilt, I think it was probably, for me, one of the toughest parts that I dealt with inwardly that I didn't talk about a lot, because how can you talk about the fact that you survived? How can you not be happy for that? Well, when you think you're gonna be the only one left, it's hard, yeah. You know, you had to push a lot of the feelings aside just so you could function. And I think that for many years after that, I was traumatized. A lot of dreams, nightmares. But I think as time has gone on, it's diminished a lot. I mean, it doesn't haunt me anymore, but it used to. Many survivors say they feel profound gratitude for the gift of time they were given. I think one of the things that people with illnesses often do is retreat into the illness, and it becomes the entirety of their existence. And yes, there is that kind of weight associated with many illnesses. But I also believe, though, that if you succumb to that, then you truly die before you die. And I was never going to do that. Never. And that's what Provincetown has sincerely afforded me is that sense of you're more than the disease. You're still a human being, and clearly that's what's occurred. <laughs> you know, we're people living with AIDS. We're not dying from AIDS. We're living with it. Provincetown will soon start building its AIDS memorial on the town hall green. It will honor those who've passed and those who supported them through the crisis. Among them are the people whose voices you just heard. Stephen Kovacev, Janice Walk, Tim McCarthy, Jimmy Rand, Bill Ferdin, and George LeBone. The town was brave. You know, it took on all kinds of unknowns. And I'm so proud to live here. In Provincetown, Massachusetts, I'm Sophie Casas. So you can find links to more of Sophie's work and the work of all the creators featured on this show in the show notes and on our website, selects.show. And that's it for today's episode, and that's it for 2017. Woo! Um, I'm going to start a new segment at the end of each episode, what I've been listening to. So here it goes. Uh, So recently I re-listened to S-Town. It's now my third time. 
it's so dense that I'm still picking up new stuff as I re-listen. Um, I really enjoyed the dailies uh, year in sound special and the rebroadcast of their best pieces. Some of those hit really hard emotionally. Um, Heavyweight season two is great. So is the recent This American Life two-parter Art Town and Gimlet's Uncipple. Um, and I've also been enjoying the Planet Money spinoff, The Indicator. If you haven't heard that, each episode is a little snack-sized story. So far, they've all been six to nine minutes, usually presenting a big idea in a conversational way. Um, also, stepping outside the line of podcasts for a second, there's a new season of Black Mirror on Netflix, and if you've never seen that show, um, you're in for a treat. Mind fuck, but a treat. And yeah, that's, that's it for the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, have a great day.